Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, did you have a good Memorial Day weekend, sir? I did. It was a lot of fun. Saw some, saw some friends, saw some family, had a good time. What about you with the with the new baby? That was good, man. Uh, I've always I've said this Memorial Day weekend, great weekend, overrated weather weekend. It's not the kickoff of summer that people claim it to be. I mean, I don't know about you, Dustin. Pouring rain in Oklahoma, so not a whole lot of pool time. We did get in the pool a little bit, but not a whole lot. So it was a good weekend, but uh, the weather is always a, a total crapshoot in May in Oklahoma. Yeah, it really is. We we, uh, we were down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for a little part of the week and got to catch one of the Big 12 tournament Oklahoma State baseball games. So a little bit better weather actually there than what was in Oklahoma. So I got to get well, a little bit of sun. And the sun shone upon you when the Cowboys won in your presence. That that's nice, right? It did. Yeah, I got to see Brennan Phillips throw a, a gem of a game. Definitely yes, he his did. best performance all season. So that was pretty awesome. And Kate, that's probably I, I know baseball and softball are going to be the big meat of the podcast, but we'll definitely hit those in more detail well, a little bit later on. But it was I just wanted to mention that because it was a lot of fun. Yeah, he was there, jealous. I had like a, a coworker who was at the title game. You were there. I was a little bit jealous and kind of like questioning myself. Now I do have the easy excuse that I've got a two week old at home, so you know it's it's all good. Nobody can kind of question me on excuse. that. But uh, no, we will get to obviously baseball, softball starting. I mean, softball in the College World Series this weekend. Um, that's a the huge story of the week, I would say. Then Cowboy Baseball hosting the regional. We'll get to all of that. But Dustin, I'll kind of kick it over to you for a couple of quick recruiting notes on the football side. Yeah, so one one just kind of general note I wanted to mention, the mini camps at Oklahoma State, they're going to start on Sunday, June 4th. So this upcoming Sunday, they'll have the youth camp June 5th, the specialist camp on June 6th. So you'll probably see a lot of if you follow recruits on Twitter or kind of keep up with it there, you'll probably see a lot of people saying that they're in Stillwater at these camps. It'll be cool to kind of hear who performs well, how everything starts going, because the camps will kick off. Official visits, I think, start back up in the middle of June. So it'll be a lot going on with recruiting. But right now, I kind of wanted to start with some more negative news, Cade. You know, Oklahoma State had seven commits the last time we podcasted. And we think there's going to be one more soon. Now they have, we actually think someone's already committed that hasn't just come out in the open yet. We talked about that last week a little bit. Now they only have six commits because Will Smith, the 2024 edge from Choctaw has decommitted. He committed back. I mean, it, he's been committed for a while and what, what he told, what I've seen, I believe this is in a Pokes report article he mentioned that he think he he thinks he committed a little too early and he wanted to rethink it. I saw that Robert Allen in that article wrote that 
He's talked to Will Smith's mother in the past, and she seemed very excited about him coming to Oklahoma State. When I was at practice, Will Smith was actually there on a visit. He seemed really engaged with the coaches and everybody while he was at the practice. Looked like he was having a good time. A little odd because some of the more recent offers he's retweeted or tweeted out on his Twitter have been Washington State, Kent State, Tulsa. So, Kate, is it this might be, and I and I heard Robert Allen even mention this as well in that article. This might be a situation where he he is being truthful. He thinks he committed too early and he really wants to take some more official visits, kind of experience the full recruiting process, and maybe he even ends up back at Oklahoma State. I know that doesn't normally happen when guys decommit from Oklahoma State or from anywhere. They come back, but right. It, it almost feels like there's not that like big blue blood offer that pulled him away. More the fact that he just is seeing all of his friends take these official visits and things like that. And he just wants to get in on it as well. That's an interesting take on it. You don't normally hear that. Usually it's a decommit. My first thought was, oh, you came calling and that's where he was headed. Just being an in-state <laughs> kid. Honestly, that was my first thought. But that does make sense to me. You just don't see that a whole lot. So it would be a little bit of a surprise for you know a kid to decommit and then recommit. I would say, I mean, it's happened before though. I mean, it, surely we, uh, that wouldn't be the first time that's ever happened. So um, yeah, I mean, I and hard to blame a kid if he hadn't taken his official visits. Those are paid for. You get to go see different parts of the country and go do cool things. So I, I don't fault the kid at all. Talented player though. And I'd like to see him in Stillwater. Yeah, I agree. And, and Oklahoma State's got a little bit of that Choctaw con connection right now yeah, with Deshaun Brown, Jeff Robertson. I know Will Smith has mentioned previously in interview quotes that I've seen that he keeps in contact with Deshaun Brown. He seemed like that was a main guy that kind of talked him into coming to Oklahoma State or to committing to Oklahoma State. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. He's the number 33 rated edge on 247, number six player in Oklahoma. Overall, 6'3", 225 pound, three star. He actually plays tight end and even some wide receiver, like actually split out as the outside wide oh, receiver wow. at Choctaw. Oklahoma State's recruiting him as an edge, so it's a little bit interesting. He seems like a, a big-time overall athlete. So maybe, you know, maybe some of it was on Oklahoma State's end as well. At, like, I, I don't know because he looked – when I saw him, he definitely looked lean. He didn't look like a big – defensive end type edge so we'll kind of see how it goes it dropped Oklahoma State a little bit in the rankings but not much obviously losing a commit is going to drop you because the way 247 ranks it you know the, the number of commits plays in as well so a little bit of a weird situation but we'll we'll continue to monitor it another player we talked about last week Isaac Wilson the younger brother of New York Jets Zach Wilson he had Oklahoma State in his top six Shortly after our podcast posted, he committed to Utah. So Oklahoma State did not get him. You and I didn't think it was a – we thought he was probably a long shot with a lot of those other schools being Pac-12, being closer to home. Right. But we talked about how it would be pretty cool to get Zach Wilson's younger brother, who's also a really good quarterback. Oklahoma State still has my – Maya I can never say his name right. I'm just going to say M. Smith from California, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and then Aiden Glover from Tennessee. Both of them are uncommitted quarterbacks in the 2024 class. Miss out on Isaac Wilson. Kate, I wanted to ask you, though, if they miss out on Glover and Smith, is it that big of a deal? Do you, do you think they could get away with not taking a QB in 2024? They've already offered several guys in 2025. 
They've got Zane Flores. They've got Garrett Rangel. I don't think Gunnar Gundy is going anywhere. I know Alan Bowman is going to be leaving, but could you get a JUCO guy, a transfer guy in the 2024 class and then just go after high school again in 2025 since you know you've got Flores and Rangel and Gundy pretty much assuredly on the roster yeah, that's, moving that's, into next season? That's what I was going to say. I would I would probably look to the transfer portal or the, the JUCO ranks uh, if you're not able to get either of those guys. Reason being... I don't know if you can, you can't get away with not taking somebody. That's, I don't think that's an option. I think you got to have somebody come in. Uh, you don't know how a Zane Flores or a Garrett Rangel will feel about that. But the the reality is, I still think post Alan Bowman, the quarterback room is as thin as it was this offseason because you still don't necessarily know if Alan Bowman's healthy all year, what you have going into next year. So, yes, I do think you have to take somebody, whether it's, a high school kid or a transfer portal candidate, which frankly, that might be my preferred route would be to go get somebody out of the transfer portal. Just it's, it'll ramp up competition if you can get somebody who's done it. So that that's kind of the way I feel about it. I love the Bowman pick. Uh, and I, I wouldn't mind seeing them kind of follow that, that trend. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I like that take. Stay negative for a little bit longer with me, Cade. We got <laughs> Logan Saldate. The 2024 wide receiver, 5'11", 185 pounds from Palma High School in Salinas, California. Three-star guy. He officially visited Oklahoma State on June 23rd. We talked about that. Or, sorry, I have that date wrong. But he, he, he had an official visit scheduled to Oklahoma State June 23rd. We talked about that when he set that up. He announced a final five of Arizona, California, Oklahoma State, Oregon State, and Washington. He ended up not taking the official, obviously, to Oklahoma State and committed to Oregon State on Memorial Day. Oklahoma State misses out on a wide receiver there. And this is a guy that you and I both liked, but I think they're still, they always do well recruiting wide receivers, getting guys to commit. Yeah. I'm not that worried about this one. It is hard to get too emotional about a missed wide receiver recruit, unless it's Laquan Treadwell, which I remember vividly when he did not come to Oklahoma State. <laughs> It's hard to get it too worked up because you know Oklahoma State's going to reload at wide receiver, whether it's through the portal, whether it is through recruiting. I'm not too worried about them not getting Logan Saldate. I think he's going to be a good player, but he's not the the Des Bryant, Laquan Treadwell, cannot miss type of prospect. So, Agreed. And then one more guy that we, the only reason, normally we don't go through all these guys that are committing elsewhere, but since we recently talked about all yeah, these guys, last week. I wanted to mention it. Yeah, Kyle Rakers, the Interior offensive lineman in the 2024 class, 6'4", 281 pounds from Dowling Catholic High School in West Des Moines, Iowa. He's a three-star guy. Oklahoma State offered him in February. Seemed like a guy that Oklahoma State could get. He ended up committing to K-State. So losing out on a couple guys, but Cade flipping to the positive side. Four-star defensive back, Kadavian Dotson, named Oklahoma State in his final five schools. Yes, sir. So we'll kind of see where that lands. They're in the mix with TCU, Texas, SMU, and LSU. It, I know Texas and LSU are in there, but I think Oklahoma State has a chance with schools like TC, TCU and SMU being in the mix. I know NIL is going to play a factor. Yeah. I know there's all these different variables in there. So Dotson's the uh, Duncanville High School kid we've talked about on here before, six foot, 180 pound, number 236 overall player, number 29 player at his position, according to 247 Sports. So very highly rated recruit. 
there's not really a commitment timeline set for Dotson that I saw, but he has OSU and SMU on his docket of official visits. That that I think bodes well as all. I know he's I know I think he's unofficially visited most of the other schools, but the fact that he's got an official already scheduled to Oklahoma State, I think is a good sign. This would be a big time get. Yeah, no, no question about it. And I think obviously you can see who's after him, right? That offer list alone tells you this is going to be a competitive recruitment. Uh, your LSU Tigers have two crystal balls right now on 247, <laughs> which is not ideal, but it is what it is. And anytime a kid's coming out of Duncanville, again, you know they're going to be ready to rock. So that's awesome. And uh, good to see Oklahoma State competing at that level with a prospect like that. I think that's my yeah. my biggest take. Obviously, if they can get him, great. But I love still being on lists like this. This is This is what you want to see. And this is somebody they got in on a long time ago. Right, right. They offered him a couple years ago, I believe. So it's been going on for a couple years. He scheduled his visit in June. He already has been on campus. I I think shortly after that that offer went out in May of 2021, he, he went up there. So it'll be interesting to watch. Big name would be really big, would probably shoot Oklahoma State up in the rankings, grabbing a four-star guy like that. So definitely a name to watch. And if we hear a of a commitment date, commitment timeline, we'll definitely let you guys know. Uh, on to some offers, Cade, before we move on. There was a couple, a couple guys I wanted to hit on. Charles Anderson, these are all 2024. Defensive lineman, 6'7", 240 pounds from Dawson High School in Pearland, Texas. Not currently rated. He's got offers from Cal, Houston, K-State, Mizzou, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, UNLV, to name a few. I know he's kind of a Texas Tech lean right now. Oklahoma State's going after him. He's got the obviously the size, and he's very athletic for that size. So somebody to keep an eye on. In twenty last year, he had thirty eight tackles, four sacks, two fumble recoveries, and a forced fumble. Along with him, Audric Harris. Wide receiver, six foot, 175 pounds from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. He's a three-star, number 185 wide receiver, number seven rated player in Nevada. He's got offers from Arizona, Arizona State, BYU, Cal, Hawaii, Nevada, Pittsburgh, Washington State, Utah. Six, like I said, six, 180 pounds, very fast. He's got four official visits, I believe, set up. I don't think... Oklahoma State is on that list yet, so he's probably going to have to squeeze them in. It looks like all of them are in June. I'm assuming he's going to commit sometime after that. So if Oklahoma State gets a visit on there, I think that bodes well. If not, it doesn't. They are Oklahoma State is heavily recruiting Micah Capana, who we've talked about on here, the running back from Bishop Gorman. I know he's very high on Oklahoma State right now. John Stribling was his host. They're both Hawaii guys, Hawaii natives. So maybe Capana and Stribling can talk Harris into maybe getting off whatever way he's leaning, getting that official visit set up and going to Oklahoma State because I really like Harris and Anderson. And then there was one more guy I wanted to mention, Cade, Nuka Mafi, interior offensive lineman, 6'4", 295 pounds from where else? West High School in Salt Lake City, Utah, home of Jalen Warren. Penny Tonga's been recruiting heavily. Not the high school musical high school. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) which we confirmed on a previous podcast. He's a three-star, number 79 interior offensive lineman, number 13 overall player in Utah. I believe he's going to be visiting on, 
I believe he's going to be visiting sometime soon. I haven't seen an official date yet, but a guy that I just saw the offer go out onto, and anybody from West High School, anybody getting re- recruited by Tonga, I think we have a good shot with. Yeah, and usually they're going to come and bring a bag of lunch with them. Like they're usually pretty good prospects and yeah. diamond in the rough type guys. Like you know it's going to pan out well. So no question. I, Audric Harris is an interesting prospect. It almost seems like similar prospect to Logan Saldate. I wonder if that offer, I don't know when it came, but maybe a, a little bit of a backup plan to try to fill that role because they're separated by what half an inch and a few pounds. So interesting uh, note there. Yeah. And that's, that's a good call out kid. Cause with Will Smith, I, I forgot to mention this, but Edward Smith, who we mentioned Oklahoma state making the top group for reach recently, he's an edge. So it's, it's good that when you see, yeah, the commit. When you see a guy commit elsewhere, it's good call out by you to kind of look at who else. Sometimes is in the, class. the yeah, sometimes the clues are there, and I, I'm not saying this is this, but I mean it's literally like same body type, same type of receiver. Maybe just look at the tea leaves. So anyway, it's interesting. For sure. And my guy, M. Smith, that's the last thing I wanted to mention on recruiting. We talked about him earlier. The 2024 QB, 6'4", 195 pounds from Junipero Serra High School in San Mateo, California. The three-star, number 31 overall QB, number 40 overall player in California. Oklahoma State is trying to get him in for an official visit. It sounds like it's going to be in mid-June. They went that some coaches went and watched him play out in California recently. Smith said he's looking at the June 14th to 16th date he's going to visit michigan state as well as well as byu he's already visited byu utah and michigan state so he's going to go back to byu and michigan state i really like this guy i think oklahoma state is in the mix if you had to make me say if i think they're going to get him or not definitively i'd probably say no but i do think they have a good shot and if they were going to take a guy in the 2024 class i think i like smith a little better than glover yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to watch because it feels like Wilson might have been their first choice. And now it I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't seem like they're scrambling. They've been on these guys for a little while. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Obviously, the quarterback battle uh, will heat up. I mean, next offseason, we will be right back in the same exact position. So uh, something to watch for sure. Agreed, Caden. Before we move into basketball, since this is kind of basketball, kind of football related, I did want to mention The Big 12 spring meetings are taking place later this week. I saw Sports Illustrated put out an article. It sounds like the topic of the Big 12 expanding and negotiating with Gonzaga being one of those expansion teams, those additions to the Big 12 as a basketball-only school, is going to be center stage at those meetings later this week that are going to be taking place in West Virginia. The fact that Sports Illustrated got wind of that makes me think that it's probably true. We know Brett Yarmark has been big on that for a little bit of, for several months now. We we've heard about that, so we'll kind of see. I, Kate, I know we talked about it when it was initially kind of some rumbling, some rumors about it. But how do you feel about Gonzaga being added as a basketball school to the Big Twelve? Well, I love it from a Big Twelve basketball standpoint. I love the Big Twelve conference. I love being a part of it. And I love being able to keep up with the key matchups going on elsewhere. Like I love a top five, you know, matchup between Baylor and KU and Allen Fieldhouse. I still love that. I know a lot of college basketball consumers don't really care about that anymore. I happen to be (laughs) one of those that do, I do still care. So my, my point to that is I, I would love to see Gonzaga in the big 12. 
I think it would be a really tough thing for Oklahoma State basketball to handle. I mean, that's another blue blood coming into your conference. Not that Houston is one, but they were just a one seed in the NCAA tournament, Dustin. That's now Houston and Gonzaga coming in. And and then that's not even factoring in a, a team in like UCF and and BYU who are kind of on your level. Like over the last 15 years, those those schools are kind of so you're like down to like eleven in the Big 12 conference when you add Gonzaga. And with the way things are going with NIL, I have big concerns with another school like Gonzaga coming in. But here's the deal, Dustin. If it's not Gonzaga, it might be UConn. Or it might be uh, yeah. Villanova or somebody like Your mark that. is going after the big dogs. Yeah, basketball. so whether it's Gonzaga or not, which I think it's going to be, and I think it might also be those other schools, I, so interesting to keep an eye on. But I, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing for the way Oklahoma State basketball is currently sitting. I just don't think they're in a good spot anywhere. So that, That's a interesting take on it kate i i wasn't even really thinking about it like that i was more thinking and maybe i'm a bad oklahoma state fan for that reason i was thinking about it more of like big 12 in general but oh, i completely yeah. i love I completely it. see your point not I, I hear you on exactly what you're saying with the current state of oklahoma state basketball adding another team another school of this caliber is is not great for how <laughs> oklahoma state's trending right now well, and and don't get me wrong, Dustin, from a Big 12 perspective, I would love to turn on the TV on Saturday and not leave Big 12 basketball. And I think that's what Brett Yormark is trying to do. Like oh, yeah, from, 100%. From January 8th to April, every Saturday, you could dominate the airwaves with Big 12 basketball. And I think it's a great play. It's brilliant from Brett Yormark. And when everybody's going football – go basketball because you don't have the blue bloods, but you can go get them in basketball. So I, I love it from a conference perspective. I love it from a sports fans perspective, from an Oklahoma state perspective. I think it could be a really bad thing. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting. You haven't seen a lot of buzz about these big 12 meetings. You and I were kind of talking about that before the podcast. Do you think this is a situation where, they try to kind of nail something down at these meetings. And then we yeah. hear in a couple of weeks, like Gonzaga's being added when no one was really talking about it since it first got oh, brought up several months I, ago. I think so. And all these things are, you know, bound by NDAs. So it is amazing when stuff leaks out. I do think that stuff doesn't leak most of the time unless somebody wants it to leak. So right. you, you always have to consider that. Uh, is Is that story coming out? because it's true or is it is it coming out because somebody doesn't want it to be true you know what i mean try to blow it up in front of it so it's going to be something to watch but you know again all these things are wrapped up with ndas until it's final so uh it'll happen as you said i think if it does happen it'll happen weeks from now and it'll be a shock just like you remember ou texas going to the sec that was a shocker i think it'll look a little bit like that but this one's had some smoke around it for a while so much so that I I think it's almost a foregone conclusion. So, yeah, no, I agree. Kate, that was all I had on recruiting. Well, I got a football question on it up. for you. Do you like Colorado yeah. in the Big Twelve? I don't hate it. I I'm fine with, and you know me, whoever Oklahoma State's got to play, right. that's who I want to break down, look at the film on, study that game, review the game with you on the podcast, do the Twitter breakdowns, but I. 
I'm fine with adding Colorado back. I know they're not, you know, a powerhouse in football by any means, but I think it would be cool to have the Colorado team. Boulder would be a fun place as a fan Absolutely. to travel. My brother, several of my cousins live in the Denver area, so not far from them from them there. So selfishly, I like it for all of those reasons. And if I know things seem to not be going that well right now for Dion, for Coach Prime, but if he's able to bring them back to somewhat national prominence, that would help as well. So what, what is your take on it? Well, I won't hold my breath on that last one. But I do yeah. think I do think that Colorado will be in the Big 12. I I, I would love to hear like I don't know who the commissioner it, was the last time around, but like if I think it was um golly, I can't remember. But they would not throw Colorado a life raft. They would make them die with the Pac-12. That would be my personal preference. Is no, you don't yeah. get to come crawling back. You left. You get to stay over there and see what happens. But I, I think they're going to come to the Big 12. I think they're going to struggle. I just think that they continue to be this geographic outlier. Like, they're not really Pac-12. They're not really Big 12. But now with BYU coming in, I think it does make sense for Colorado to be in this version of the Big 12. So I'm excited to see what happens. And I, again, I, I echo your comments. I love Denver. That's a great city. I, I love going there. So I would not uh, be opposed to a you know a Friday night uh, matchup against the Buffs in Denver. No problem. Yeah, for sure. And to your point, I was going to say, not only would like I, I I love the take of not letting them back in because yeah, of that no not life raft. life raft, but I also think it's funny to make them kind of come crawling back and know that they were wrong. So you should, both, both ways are funny. Yeah, I, I think you should make them like take out the trash for a year, or like you know when, <laughs> on the office when Michael made Dwight do his laundry for a. That's what I would make Colorado do. Yeah, you you don't get to come back like uh, sight unseen. There's going to be some punishment. Oh yeah, I completely agree. But on the fact of like making the conference better, Cade, I you know they don't in the major sports they don't really bring much to the table. I don't know a ton about all of their women's sports things of that nature. I'm, I don't think they if they have a softball team, I don't think it's very good. But as far as men's sports and the major men's sports go, they don't really bring a lot to the table at this time. Yeah, I. In the, in the business world, you would call this a tuck-in acquisition. You take them and you keep moving right along. So <laughs> I think that's all that is. So, All right, yeah. Dustin, are we getting to basketball? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, what do you think? So Keaton Page, promoted to assistant coach? Hey, I mean, he's been around forever. I, I don't necessarily know what that means in the big picture of the you know rest of the staff. Uh, we probably speculated last week and it was total speculation, but I have no clue what's going to happen. And it may just be that there's five next year for some reason. So I, I don't know, but I like it. Keaton page is a big OSU guy, obviously. And he's very well liked around the state. So can recruit the lights out in Oklahoma. I, I think it's a good move. I, and especially if he can help you shoot, I, I would like to see that uh, happen. So, yeah, I agree. He he's been with the program since his playing days under three different head coaches. He was most recently the director of player development before he got upgraded, promoted to this position. My understanding I actually heard Robert Allen say this on his radio show. It sounds like Cade that there actually is a coach that's going to be leaving. Oh, okay. the school just has not announced it yet. He actually said that he didn't say who it was, 
but Robert Allen did say that there is going to be a coach leaving and Keaton Page is replacing. I think it kind of makes sense. A lot of the a lot of the coaches that are on the staff right now, I, I think have some similar backgrounds in like style of coaching, what part of the game they coach. And you mentioned Keaton Page coming in and being more of a shooting kind of specialist coach, a younger guy. I, I believe most of the assistant coaches right now are a little bit older, especially older than Keaton Page. So I, I think it'll be interesting. It's a nice, I know he's already on the staff, but it'll be a nice breath of fresh air, younger guy coming into the assistant coaching room. So I think that'll be pretty cool. I don't like, you know, at timeouts, Robert Allen also mentioned this. Quentin seems to, you know, converse with Keaton Page a lot during timeouts. You see that right. on TV. Yeah, it absolutely. seems to be a guy that he confides in. And this Mike Boynton not being an Oklahoma State guy, like someone that's come up through the program like Keaton Page, it's cool to see him kind of confide in him during games. And it, it seems like he he's not just a novelty piece on the bench, Keaton Page being like he actually – is contributing and it shows now that he's getting promoted to that assistant coach spot. Yeah, I, I think it's a good move. And I think you're exactly right. You pointed out something that you and I have observed for a long time. And I don't know if, you know, most people would pick up on that, but Mike Boynton's usually talking to Keaton Page. And it was very evident this year when the offense was struggling. Like he's going to Keaton Page, Keaton's going to him. They've clearly got a good relationship. I think overall, Dustin, it's a good move. I don't know how nationally he's going to help you recruit. But as long as I think you keep Terrence Rincher, who is a known, very good recruiter, I think you're going to be all right. My, my concern is less with our ability to recruit high school basketball. It's more, how do you compensate NIL wise? Yeah, I mean, I've been very open about that. That is a, that is a concern I have. It really is. And, and until we see it kind of move the other way, and we win some NIL battles, it's going to be a concern. We, we've talked, I know we went into detail on it on a previous podcast, so we don't have to do that again. But right, it's, right. It's a great call out by you. Kid, before we move on to the transfer portal, though, because when I saw Oklahoma State release that Keaton Page had been promoted, they mentioned that he was previously the all time career three point record holder at Oklahoma <laughs> State until Phil Forte broke that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, better shooter. Keaton Page or Phil Forte? Whoa. Wow. I'm going to... Keaton Page was an awesome shooter. I mean, he really was. But I will go with Phil Forte because there was a time, Dustin, where the entire Oklahoma State offense ran through Phil Forte. I don't know if you remember that, but they had several injuries, and it was to the point where all you had was Phil Forte. And he put up like 20 a night, which is just impressive for the amount of focus that the defense was putting on him. He's the all-time three-point leader. I will give the slight, slight, slight lean to Phil Forte. I think, too, maybe a little bit prettier shot, you know, Oh, and you just felt at. like it was going in every time, right? Yeah, but if, if we're going to go pure score, creating your own shot, Absolutely. you may have to go Keaton Page there because I, I think he, he brings a little bit more to the table in that regard, but pure shooter from three, if if I get an open three from one of those two guys, I might be giving it to Forte. And mainly just, like I said, it, it's a little bit prettier to look at coming out of so, Phil's hand. Yeah, so Phil's the better shooter. Keaton's the better hooper. So that's that's yes. the way I would describe that, right? Yeah. He, you're I, exactly I like right. That. Keaton had some handles. Like, he, he ran the offense. Phil Forte really wasn't that. So they were a little bit different types of players, just both fantastic shooters. You think Phil Forte is going to be the head coach at Oklahoma State basketball? I think there's a 
not 0% chance that either one of those guys will be the head coach at Oklahoma State like within the next coaches. 10 years. Oh, I hope they coach, don't go to three, three more yeah. specialist. <laughs> we will never miss a three-pointer, but we will not have any paint presence. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and, you know, Keaton Page was there through most of my college career. I believe he was 2008 to 2012. I was yeah. 2007 to 2011. So a guy that I remember a lot from my college days. And as you remember, Kate, I know I mentioned it all the time. I'm sure it's annoying, but – I didn't watch a ton of Oklahoma State sports until I got on campus. So my kind of introduction to Oklahoma State basketball, Keaton Page was a major part of that. So, yeah, I mean, shoot, if you ask uh, anybody that even even my age, like Keaton Page, like we're not that far apart in age, but you're right. you're one whole kind of step ahead in terms of like Marshall Moses, Keaton Page, Terrell Harris. That was my kind of core Oklahoma State basketball memory like even before that uh you know Marcus Dove Mario Bogan but I was like nine for that I was I was I was in school I remember James Anderson Keaton Page like those were my teams growing up so yeah it would it would be super cool to see Keaton Page at some point you know running the show in Stillwater so it would be cool, it, either him or Forte. Hey, but, and I just want to be clear: I was not calling you old by any stretch of the no, imagination. No, 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 that's there, fine. So. I'm, I'm one of the youngest men alive. So. <laughs> no, no worries there. Uh hey, transfer portal. So dead period's over. That ended on the 26th, and we've got a little bit of news and a guy that, you know, I'm not going to say that you had some insider knowledge, but you told us to pay attention to the NBA draft. And can you tell us a little bit about a guy that maybe, maybe would be one of those guys you told us to pay attention to? Well, I, I don't like to generally talk about things until they happen, but I like to leave little <laughs> Easter eggs along the way. And you're so that way it. I can never be proven wrong, but I can certainly claim that I was right. <laughs> this is one of those examples of that. Isaiah Miranda. I heard weeks ago that this was a possibility in addition i'll just say that there's multiple that are were and are in the draft process that i've been saying for a while to just keep an eye on the nba draft because and this is not like you know a rocket science type of thing like there are a lot of guys in the draft process that are going to come back to school but isaiah miranda is one of them a former four-star recruit Went to NC State and didn't play a minute. Like, n- never played, but he's 7-1, Dustin. He's a freak athlete. And I would say, for my money, probably the best you're going to do in the front court for Oklahoma State at this point in the transfer portal. He's a guy I've been waiting on to see kind of what was going to happen. And then it finally was announced that it looks like He's going to be coming back to school. He's going to be considering, among others, Oklahoma State. So very excited to hear this. I think would fit in nicely. I still think you have an experience issue, but I think you have now, if that were the case, if he were to come to Oklahoma State, that's Isaiah Miranda and Brandon Garrison. I think you start to feel a little bit better about things down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, agreed. And, Kate, thanks for that background on him. And something to note about Miranda is – he enrolled at NC State early, I believe. So right. he was eligible to play in the middle of last season. So December 17th, he was eligible. I believe they were playing Vanderbilt. And 
I guess it just kind of became clear that he wasn't ready to go. But all that to say, he's basically going to be technically a freshman next year. Right. Like, right. like he's young enough to be a true freshman coming in to next season. I know he's got one final workout on Wednesday and Wednesday is actually the deadline because June 1st is the deadline to withdraw. We've talked about it on the podcast multiple times. So Wednesday, May 31st, tomorrow, we're recording on Tuesday. We should know later this week what he plans on doing. It sounds like UCF, Oklahoma State, Villanova, Georgetown, and Florida State is what are the teams that are in the mix for him. This is a guy that was formerly number 17 center number 108 player overall coming out of high school. Like you said, 7-1, he's got a 7-4 wingspan and a 9-4 standing reach. Just a freak kind of athletic size. And he's not like a just kind of stand-in-the-paint guy. He's actually very thin. We yeah. talked about his his weight. He's, bouncy. he's very athletic. He can jump really high, and it looks – really weird because he can jump so high but he's already so tall so it's very freaky looking in a good way and i don't know kid when i read those schools off to myself maybe i'm giving oklahoma state too much credit but i think they truly have a shot i know i'm talking about schools like villanova georgetown but i think oklahoma state really has a shot oh i i think the way that things have gone for oklahoma state in the portal ucf georgetown oklahoma state villanova there's another one that i'm forgetting but that's that's the core that he's looking at you can absolutely win that recruiting battle i think oklahoma state's been preparing for this so as we've discussed like concerns about nil i do think that this has been an option that's been on the table that's been prepared for so they were saving up i'm not saying that, that that they were sandbagging and and you know uh adjusting the balance sheets accordingly but what i am saying is that i think that they're in a good spot here and you know if if he goes to georgetown i think it's because ed cooley is probably the the cool guy on campus and he's he's bringing a lot of uh excitement to a program that's dying for something good to happen georgetown and oklahoma state not all that different right now so uh i think that it's going to be a tight recruiting battle, but one that I think Oklahoma State ultimately can win. And I think Oklahoma State can go in and say, you know, really right now, we just have Brandon Garrison. Do you want to play? Big, because if so, yeah, you can play here. Yeah, you'll, you'll play a lot here. So I, I even think you could run some Garrison and Miranda lineups out there. So I think this is a guy who could play a lot of minutes, what you and I've talked about, and again, we don't have to rehash it. We already talked about it in the other podcast. We already talked about it on this podcast, but NIL is definitely a concern. But I do think maybe they were, like you like you noted, that they knew about this. They knew they had a shot, and maybe they got a little bit of money left in the bank to throw at them. Maybe there's a piggy bank laying around. That's all I'm saying. But with, with Miranda... Think about like Javon Small being a a now, you know, creating point guard, the ability to get into the paint and throw lobs. We've seen it in his tape with a freak athlete at 7-1 can kind of jump out of the gym. That starts to open some things up in my mind about the way next season can oh, yeah. potentially go. Do, I mean, does it to you? Oh, 100%. It, if, they, if they were to land someone like Miranda, and I know he's an unknown as far as college playing career goes, when you look at his high school recruiting, when you look at his film, his size overall, this is a guy I think could really add some 
monster pick and roll possibilities, which exactly. you just mentioned with small and even some rim protection ability on the defensive end that Oklahoma State is obviously going to be losing with Musa Cisse moving on to Ole Miss. Yeah, no question. It's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Again, I think Oklahoma State's in a pretty good spot here. Um, I, again, I think that there's others that they're actively looking at. Miranda's been one on the radar for quite some time, so I'd keep an eye on this. Yeah, uh, two other quick notes. Jesse Zazarella from Central Michigan. We talked about him on the last pod, and then he committed to Oregon literally like right after we, we got finished scooped. recording the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so he's on to Oregon. You and I both didn't think he was probably going to end up here. He hadn't even visited Oklahoma State as far as we knew. He had visited Oregon. He had visited, I believe, a couple of other schools. And then Malcolm Dandridge, the big man from Memphis, it sounds like he still hasn't committed anywhere. I haven't seen anything about a visit to Oklahoma State. I know they're probably prioritizing Miranda over Dandridge. So we'll kind of see how that goes, but he is not committed. So someone Oklahoma state's been linked to that's still out there. Other than that, Kate, I didn't really have any other names I wanted to bring up on here. We know there's maybe some guys that are being mentioned. There's obviously a lot of guys still in the portal, but those are kind of some of the main ones we wanted to bring up. You know, I love uh, tea leaves on Twitter, right? I'll just leave yes. you with this. Isaiah Miranda is being followed on Twitter by Terrence Rencher and Mike Boynton. So just love it. Just I know love that. It. So we'll see. <laughs> Are we getting well, to baseball and softball, Dustin? Yeah, okay. That's that was the that was our football and basketball. But now we got to get into the sports that I think are the highlights right now, baseball and softball. I think so. Absolutely. Before we do that, Dustin, I want to take one quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff, and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code FEELS12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12. We'll get you 15% off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast. All right, Dustin, let's not beat around the bush. Let's get right to it. It is the highlight right now. Baseball. Do you want to start there? We start in baseball. I do this every week. I'm like, are we start in baseball. Or are we yeah, start softball. Let's start baseball. Let's start baseball. So, a Herculean effort from Oklahoma State baseball this weekend in uh, Arlington. Losing game one to Oklahoma, throttling them in game two, coming all the way back out of the loser's bracket to the championship series. You don't see that a whole lot. or I'm sorry, to the championship game. Ultimately falling to TCU, but Dustin, so many guys had to step up and make plays. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, stretches of innings pitched. Gabe Davis, I'll throw out as just... Your flowers, sir. These are for you. Uh, lots of guys to uh, throw some accolades at. And then Oklahoma State named a regional host. I think they played their way 
right into the lock conversation. We thought they were on the edge, probably were going to host, but after this weekend, it was a no doubter uh, and then host this weekend uh, in Stillwater. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I said on the podcast last week that one win would probably right. get them with where their RPI was at would probably get them, you know, a 15, 16 seed in the host because the NCAA wants to give Oklahoma State a host at O'Break. They know how awesome that stadium is. And then they win and they go out and they win four games. You mentioned the loss to OU nine to five. Marcus Brown was amazing at the plate. Carson Binge actually was pretty good at the plate in that game. But the the issue there was he just kind of completely fell apart starting that game. I think he allowed seven runs and five hits and only two and a third. So that was tough. When you go down that big to a team like OU, who hasn't been good this year, but they were really good last year. They've got some experienced players. It's tough. But then they come out in game two and they beat West Virginia, who they shared the title with, who beat them in the regular season series. They come out and they tie the season series. At two to two, it was a lot of revenge games, Cade. Yeah, it really which was. we'll get to. But that win marked Josh Holiday's 400th victory in his 11th year as head coach. So they win that one three to two. Nolan McLean and Jawan Watts Brown, those two pitched the whole game. You talked about these Herculean efforts at pitching. When you can beat a team like West Virginia in a tournament and only use two pitchers, that's big time. And McLean looked great. Watts Brown, three shutdown innings and seven Ks. You know, he had a couple walks, hit a guy, but the seven Ks and three shutout innings, that's what you need from a reliever who's one of your starters. They throw him in as a reliever because they, I think they thought like you and I, Cade, they needed a win. And then Rock Riggio, awesome in that game. Game three, they come back, revenge game. They beat OU 8-3. to three. David Mendham had the big home run. Ben Abram against his former team was absolutely lights out. He's 8-2 and two on the year, Cade. This is a guy who didn't even start yeah, right, at OU. Right. They used him as a reliever. 8-2 and two on the year. Two on that. they come back. Yes. Texas Tech, two games in a row, games four and five. They beat Texas Tech in the first game, 8-1. to one. That's the game I was at. Brennan Phillips. We talked to, when I talked to Aaron Fitt going into the season, he said, Brennan Phillips, watch this guy. I think even though he's a true freshman, left-hander, I think he's going to be in the starting rotation to start the year. He was. Aaron was right, and he struggled. And they kind of took him out of the rotation, used him here and there on midweek games. They asked him to come out and start against Texas Tech, who's one of not the best hitting teams in the Big 12, one of the best hitting teams in the country and he just absolutely dominates seven strikeouts. Just everything he threw looked amazing. Then Baden Root comes out there. He has a great relief performance. Tyler Wolford's good at the plate. Nolan Schubert. And then the second game, Cade, they're down. Sylvester, the Hawaiian assassin, I think is what I'm going to start calling him. Hasn't had a lot of hits this season. He comes out there. Blast a two-run home run to get the game going when Oklahoma State's down five to zero. And then to walk the Oklahoma State ties it up, walk it off. Aiden Miola coming yeah. off the thumb surgery. Haven't seen him at the plate in like three months. Hits a walk-off home run to win that game. They fall to TCU in the final. They ran out of pitchers. They ran out of juice. Rock Riggio, I know, was a little bit under the weather for some of the games in the tournament. But I know that was a long recap, Cade. It was just so such an exhilarating run. And now you're looking at a team that had a share of the Big 12 title, made it to the Big 12 title game, 
and is the 11 seed overall in the NCAA tournament. Just for where they were in that losing streak when I know I personally was down on them during that to where they are now just seems like a complete turnaround. Yeah, now it's like this the outlook of this entire season. And you and I, I think, do a good job of like, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that it was this way, would you take it? And we've done that all off se- all season. I I think that at this point, you would probably think that this was like a, a total success. Like, forget yeah. how things were going. Like, now it's like, oh, well, they took a share of the Big 12 title and made it all the way to the championship game and just ran out of gas. That happens. <laughs> it's a success. They're hosting a regional. I mean, they need to get Who out wins? of this. They need they the need to get out of this regional, but I would say at this point, the way they've rebounded, I think sets it up to where I mean, I, I think it's a success, and I think you can put a lot of the bad taste out of your mouth. I think the pitching continues to be a question mark. I don't necessarily know exactly what's coming, but it's college baseball. I think that's d- just part of it. Dustin, you called it an exhilarating uh, weekend. I was exhilarated just hearing you talk about it again. You did a great <laughs> job recapping that. So thank you. That was thank awesome. You. Well, and then they get three on the Big 12 All-Tournament team. I talked about David Mendham, had some great hits throughout the series. The fact that he bats in the eight hole, and he's just been consistently one of the best hitters since he transferred from South Carolina – it's just amazing. Marcus Brown, who I feel like no one ever talks about aside for some plays in the field, he makes the all-tournament team. He had a three-for-four game at the plate. And then Brennan Phillips, 17 in RPI. Like I said, number 11 seed. So they're going to be paired with Vanderbilt, who's the number six seed, if they get to the Supers. Hey, before we get into the rest of the regional, how did you feel about that? Because, you know... I. I personally, all the projections, when I saw LSU and even in some of them, Arkansas, those two teams terrify me. More Arkansas for what happened last year and LSU just for the fact that aside from their pitching falling apart a little bit lately, they've been number one consistently almost all season. I know Vanderbilt's a really good team. I know their coach always gets them ready to play. I know Josh Holiday used to be part of that staff. They beat us earlier this year. But Vanderbilt instead of LSU or Arkansas feels like a win to me. I would say so. I mean, I don't want to play in a super regional in Fayetteville or Baton Rouge. I you just you just don't. That's usually not a good recipe for success. Again, I think Oklahoma State can get out of this regional. I think they can get to the College World Series, but I think the road is tough. I think that this is a very difficult regional. I, I think uh Parker uh, at Stats of War, a great follow on Twitter. This was the most kind of even regional from seeds one through four with a chance to win. I think teams seeds one through three, Oklahoma State was a 32%, had a 32% chance to win. And both DBU and Washington had over a 20% chance to win this series. So to give you perspective on that, like Dallas Baptist is a team that beat Oklahoma State. Like Washington is a team that can absolutely beat Oklahoma state and was considered to potentially be a host, like not very long ago. So I I think that this is a difficult regional Washington gives me shades of Arkansas, but it's not Arkansas. You know what I mean? Arkansas had a wave of fans come over last year for that regional. I think this is a little bit of a different situation and I like the way that this shapes up. I think it's going to be a challenge. Dustin, I, I think my biggest question is, do you get out of game one with a win or a loss? Because Oral Roberts is a team that scares me as well. 
Yeah, and it'll be really interesting when we talk about the pitching, who Oklahoma State goes with in that first game, because they don't have that Justin Campbell-like ace this year as a starting pitcher. Normally, you try to save that guy if you're the one seed playing the four, but going up against probably the best four seed in the tournament, maybe the maybe better than all the three seeds as well in ORU, it's going to be tough. So, Kate, a couple quick stats before we get into those teams one by one because I've got some stats on those teams for you as well. So Oklahoma State's 48th regional appearance. That's the fourth most all-time. It's their 10th consecutive regional berth, all under Josh Holiday. They have never missed the tournament under his tenure. It's the fifth time under Holiday that they've hosted they posted in 2014, 15, 19, uh, and it's the second straight year they've been a regional host. Last year, we all remember the most offensive tournament regional in history. <laughs> they set a record for most runs scored, so pretty amazing. Oklahoma State's the one. Dallas Baptist is the two. Washington's the three, and ORU is the four. Kate, it's going to be really interesting because when you look at these teams, and I'll just run through some of their stats real quick. Let's talk about Dallas Baptist first, if that's cool with you, since they're the two. 15th in RPI. That's higher than Oklahoma State's RPI. Oklahoma State's at 17. Yeah. So you've got the number two seed with a higher RPI. They're 64th in batting average, 74th in on-base percentage, 12th in home runs. They hit a lot of home runs, which I'm sure that's not only because of proximity to Stillwater – but because of what we saw last year in O'Brate, I'm sure the NCAA loved putting a team that hits a ton of home runs in, in Stillwater. Yeah, in 25th June. in ERA. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 38th in whip, 47th in fielding percentage. They lost Oklahoma State 20-4 to on March 14th, and they beat Oklahoma State 8-0 to on March 28th. In that second game that they lost, Oklahoma State was playing Brennan Holt in center field. They actually had David Mendham at third base, and Colin Bergerman was playing first because of injuries and because it was a midweek game. So not trying to make an excuse for the 8-0 to loss, but I did want to point that out. And they also, like I noted, they beat them 20-4. to uh, The guys at the plate that are good for them, Grant Jay, Nathan Humphreys, Ethan Mann, Kobe Colden, they were all good against Oklahoma State in those two games, and they're all their best hitters. They both, Grant and Mann both have over 20 home runs on the season. Oklahoma State saw a lot of pitchers Zach Heaton in both of those games. He is normally their Sunday starter. They've got Ryan Johnson on Friday, Braxton Bragg on Saturdays normally. Hey, something to point out with their starters. These guys are all right-handed pitchers. Oklahoma State has a lot of bats in their lineup that are left-handed, and a lot of their best bats are left-handed. Right. So it'll be interesting to see who Dallas Baptist pitches if the two were to face up. Kyle Ament, their closer, also really good. Charlotte beat them in the Conference USA Championship game. They had a really good season. And DBU actually won the Conference USA regular season. Kate, on a scariness meter, where are you ranking DBU? And do you think we'll go team by team? What do you think their chances are of kind of getting out of this region? I think Oklahoma State has the best chance of getting out of this regional. I would say... Teams two through four have almost an equal shot of getting out of this regional. Oral Roberts lost 11 games this year, Dustin. I know that they're not playing necessarily the most difficult schedule out there, but 11 games is 11 games. And it kind of reminds me of like Florida Atlantic in, in the NCAA basketball tournament this year. Like 
they were 31 and three. And that doesn't necessarily happen by accident. So I'm not necessarily focusing on Oral Roberts as the team most likely oh, to get yeah. out of this regional, but I think Oklahoma State is. And I think two through four, if it's not Oklahoma State, almost equal chance. And I, I, I would pick Washington with the slight edge, but I could see any of them getting out of this regional. Yeah, let's talk about Oral Roberts. You said 11 losses. They're 46 and 11, 18 wins in a row heading yeah, into this. Like, so they, do you want to play them? Probably not. Yeah, they, <laughs> they won the Summit League regular season. They only lost one game, and they won the tournament as well. 76th in RPI, but that's solely due to their strength of schedule, which is 283rd, which is why they're a four seed, which the NCAA, this is a topic for another day, but they have to figure out a different way besides RPI to rank some of these teams because ORU should not be a four seed. They're seventh in the nation in batting average, batting 321, 23rd in on base, 46th in home runs, third in ERA. So they're seventh in batting average, they're third in ERA, and they're fourth in whip. So they hit and pitch. They're they're third in fielding percentage as well. So when you hit the ball and play, they don't make errors. They beat Oklahoma State eight to five on April eleventh, and then they won nine to seven. They also, though, earlier this year got swept by DBU, three straight losses, and they also lost in their one game to OU, twelve to two. Jacob Hall's their Friday guy. He's right-handed. Harley Gollert is their Saturday guy who's left-handed. You may see Gollert against Oklahoma State's heavy left-handed batting lineup, even though Hall's their ace. And then Brooks Fowler's their Sunday guy. They saw a, they saw a lot. Oklahoma State saw a lot of Josh Caravallo in the games that they played them in the midweek. Hey, Ditton, Jacob Widener, Caleb Isaacs are all good out of the pin. At the plate, Jake McMurray, Justin Quinn, Jonah Cox, Matt Hogan, Blaze Brothers, one of my favorite names, and then Jacob Godman. Holden Breeze, another guy who can hit well. Another great name team, kind of like K-State. Yeah, that is so fun. That's so good. (laughs) Oklahoma State only threw binge against them as far as starters go, so they haven't seen much of Oklahoma State starting guys. But again, Cade, like you said, this is a really talented team. I think it's going to be a little bit different than a midweek game. I know they won both of the midweek. You're going to see a McLean, a Watts Brown, one of those arms, and then you're going to see Oklahoma State's bats and lineup firing on all cylinders. So I think so. I think I think it's going to be a great game, but I think they can take that first one. And then the only team we haven't really talked about who you compared to Washington or to Arkansas, the Washington Huskies, 34 and 18. They finished, I believe, third in the Pac-12, no real great like sweeps or anything like that besides their sweep of number 34, Oregon, the, the 53rd strength of schedule. They're kind of middle of the pack, uh, not middle of the pack, but not they're, of all the teams in this regional. They're, they're, the Statistically, they're probably the worst. 36th in RPI, 67th in batting average, 65th in on-base percentage, 75th in home runs, 74th in ERA, 59th in whip, and 56th in fielding percentage. Almost all those are like in the 50s and 60s, so consistent all the way through. Stu Flesland is their Friday guy, left-handed. Kiefer Lord, who throws like 99, can touch 100, is their Saturday guy. And then Jacob Ingman is their Sunday guy. Both those last two are right-handed. At the plate, A.J. Guerrero, Will Simpson, Cody Morales, Cam Clayton, and Johnny Pincher, their catcher who 
literally like every time I see an article or like catch a glimpse of them playing on ESPN plus <laughs> this guy's like taking a foul ball, like off the tip of the finger or like getting hit in the head with a bat. <laughs> this tincture guy's, guy's hilarious, but all those guys bat over 300. It'll be interesting to watch. I think the Huskies are the team I'm actually least scared about in this tournament, even yeah. though Oklahoma state's seen the other teams. Just when I look at them statistically, because none of those stats really pop off to me. But again, I, I know it's played on the field, not on the stat sheet, but they're probably the the least scary to me. I love it. Where else are you going to get that level of in-depth analysis and opinion on this region? Yeah, I don't know. Just a lot of talking. Sorry. I know that was annoying. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. I, I learned a lot. I, I think that Oklahoma State gets out of this regional personally. And I, I Washington, when I saw that regional, it was teams three and four that concerned me i do agree with you i think washington obviously they're the two seed for a reason they probably got the most accomplished outside of oklahoma state this year but they do leave a little bit to be desired and they're not one of those perennial like arkansas coming to stillwater last year it was like oh boy that's not gonna be that great like you could see that going south similar to a Texas A&M that was projected to potentially be in Oklahoma State's regional. You could see that going south as well. I think this is a little bit friendlier of a uh, two-seed for Oklahoma State in this regional. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, Dustin, I think we could probably get into this prediction if you're ready. Yeah. I, I think Oklahoma State gets out of this regional, if I had to pick. I think they do. I think the bats are going to give them enough to where they're not going to lose two games in their you know home stadium uh, against a team not named Arkansas this year. Yeah, and in college baseball, kid, we've talked about it. If you don't have multiple starters, two or three that are just lights out, like some of these top tier teams do, like in LSU, you you need to have good bats. You need to have a good hitting team when you're going to this tournament play because you're going to be pitching guys on short rest. You're going to be throwing guys who longer innings who don't normally throw that much. So I think the bats play to your favor. And I think Oklahoma state's bats, like you just mentioned, can lead them through this regional. Now, when we get to supers, I, I my preseason prediction was them losing in the supers. I still think Vanderbilt's a really tough matchup. Yeah. I probably have to think on it a little bit more, but if you made me make a prediction right now, I'd probably say they lose to Vanderbilt in the supers, but I definitely think they're getting out of the regional. That's, I think that's the way I see this going as well. Vanderbilt's going to be really tough to beat in Nashville, especially. I, I think that that's probably where this thing is headed. I agree. Yeah. Okay, That's I think that's it on baseball. Should we do, do a little softball? Not a lot to recap, and then not a lot to preview because it's now the College World Series, so there's only really, you know, they're going to start with Florida State, and then they're, they'll either play Washington or Utah in the second game, and then after that, who knows? Well, there's not a ton to talk about, Dustin, but I will say Kelly F. Maxwell, and the F stands for fastball. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's back. She has been. How else do you lead this? I mean, she was amazing on uh, Friday night. It's a perfect game, and she was dry heaving in between innings. She mentioned that in the postgame presser. She was not feeling good. She almost threw a perfect game in the Super Regional. Against yeah. a really good Oregon team. So just to recap, it only took two games. You and I, we thought it was going to be quick work. It's <laughs> just, it's too talented of a team. And when, if the pitching is there, if Kelly Maxwell, like you said, is back into form, we know the team can hit. 
they don't hit a lot of home runs, but they hit the ball well, and they've got a lot of girls on the team who can hit. So they win 8-1 in the first game. Lexi Kilfoyle pitches the entire game, absolutely dominates. You've got Kylie Naomi, Michaela Wark, Morgan Wynn, Cheyenne Factor all chipping in. Then the second game, Kelly Maxwell just dominates. 9-0. to Those A lot of those same names got into the mix at the plate. Kylie Naomi tied Sydney Pennington for most career home runs at Oklahoma State with 47. So that was awesome to see. And, and Kate, I, it was just, it, it was almost too easy. And now they make it in to the College World Series. They're one of the final eight teams standing. They go up against Florida State, who they won a series against earlier yep. this year, two to one. They honestly should have won all three games. And they're on the opposite side of the bracket as OU. I think we're headed for it, Dustin. I really do. I think the fact that you've already beaten Florida State twice, you should have won that third game, I think that bodes really well. And this is going to be a home game for Oklahoma State softball. I mean, it'll be sold out. Cowgirl softball is the biggest thing in town outside of Oklahoma softball. So it's going to be a home game. And I think that they're going to come out and play extremely well. And I think Kelly Maxwell finding her groove in a setting like that where you can go to the college world series, but you do it in a way where it's just complete and utter domination from start to finish. That was, that's the stuff that championship teams do. And I think that they've gotten off the mat and I think the team goes with Kelly Maxwell. And if she pitches like that, Dustin, I think they can go anywhere. I mean, I I really do. Yeah, no, I, Okay, so let's just talk about this FSU team because I completely agree with you. I think they could go through this championship game a little iffy on if I think they can beat OU, but they did it last year in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. Can you you win two? I don't know, but I I do think that if anybody can, it's them. OU had to go, what, to the the extra innings to finish off Clemson. Exactly. you know, Oklahoma State might be getting hot again at the right team time. Kenny Gajewski said they're the hottest team in the tournament right now. I, I, you know, Oklahoma State's been the hottest team all year, but the Cowgirls are on fire right now. So when they played Florida State earlier this year, they took two out of three. They dropped the first game seven to five. Then they win nine to one in a five inning run rule, and they close it out with a three two win. Florida State's 31st in batting average, 16th in on-base percentage. They're 50th in home runs per game, which is really similar to where Oklahoma State's at. Eighth in ERA, mainly behind their prime ace, Sander Cock. 33rd in uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio and 72nd in fielding percentage. Oklahoma State in those two games, though, had nine hits off of Sander Cock, and they hit Leonard really well, too. Kelly Maxwell struggled a bit. Kyra Acock was amazing. So the fact that Acock was able to pitch well, I think gives Kenny Gajewski some confidence in maybe throwing her out there if needed. We've mainly seen Maxwell and Kilfoyle lately. At the plate, Janny Kerr, Kaylee Mudge, always annoying, always a really good player in the field and at the plate. We saw her last year in the College World Series. Feels like she's been around forever. Yeah, Devin Flaherty, Haley Wakaser, Kaylee Harding, all really solid. And then Sandercock, Reed, Royalty. I think you're going to get Sandercock, but this Florida State team is more similar to Oklahoma State where they've actually used three and sometimes even a fourth pitcher throughout the season where a lot of teams just kind of have their ace, 
their two aces. Florida State has about three, sometimes four pitchers that they use. So it's going to be really interesting. Kate, I think they dominate Florida State on Thursday. I really do. I think I think the momentum right now, 6 p.m., first pitch, like you said, it's going to be a home game. It's going to be rocking on a Thursday night, thirsty Thursday. I'm sure people will be out there. I actually looked. I, I may even still try to go. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I, I think Oklahoma State gets out of there with a with a victory. I don't think it's going to be a run rule or anything, but I think they're I think they're going to show off that dominance that we saw earlier in the year in this first game. Well, I I love it. You've been following this team religiously all year, and I you really have not wavered even in the bad times. You still maintain <laughs> I did on baseball, that. but not softball. Yeah. Yeah, you just couldn't quit them. You just couldn't quit them. And I appreciate that about you. So just talking through the scenarios down the line here, same side of the bracket as Utah, Washington. Is, do I have that right? So, yeah, so your your pod winnable. Oh, yeah. Utah 15th overall seed, Washington 7th. So both lower seeded teams than Oklahoma State. If they win, they play the winner of that game. If they lose, they play the loser of that game. The bracket also includes Tennessee, Alabama, OU, who we talked about, and Stanford. I think the OU side is much harder. I, oh. I personally think so. And and I think if Oklahoma State hadn't played Florida State and won the series and had that one run rule victory in there and really should have swept the series, I'm pro- I may have a different tune. But the fact that they played Florida State and then you've got the 15th seed Utah on your side, I think it's definitely the easier side of the bracket. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it's not. With the five-seed Alabama, four-seed Tennessee, I think either of those teams probably are feeling like Oklahoma State, that they feel like that they can go in and win this thing. I mean, Tennessee had a very impressive super regional. Um, I'm telling you, Dustin, I I think that this sets up for a a bedlam showdown in the championship where I think Oklahoma State redeems themselves from last year and finally gets there. What happens then, I don't know, but I think that they're going to get there. And I think, I'm just going to say it, even with the kind of downturn in the year, the the hype you and I had going into the season, the way the season went for like 75, 80% of the season, I think if you don't make it to the championship game, it, it's kind of a little bit of a disappointment with, I with how way- much hype going into the season and how hot this team was throughout most of the season. And I would say knowing how it sets up for you now. Like it would be a little right. disappointing to know that you didn't get out of the pod that again, the, the highest seeded team is a team you beat twice. So that would be disappointing. I would agree with that. And, and I'm sure that, you know, if they made it to the semifinals, I think, you know, making it to the college world series is a success. I'm not taking anything away from the team, but just my thoughts personally, I will personally be disappointed because I think they're good enough to make it to that I, championship game. I think they'd be disappointed too, honestly. I yeah. I think they probably expect to go in and get there. I, I really do. I, I mean, the way Kenny reacted to winning that Super the way they did, I listened to him on the radio this afternoon on the drive-in uh, with Traber. He sounds like a guy who's absolutely confident in their ability, not just to get to the championship series, but to win it all. And when you hear Kenny Gajewski talk about going up against Oklahoma – He's talking about one other team in the country that they're competing with. I don't think he's worried about the Florida States. I don't think he's worried about Allah. I think he's thinking about Oklahoma and how do you get better than them? It's a very yeah. interesting approach. I think it's a winning one too. 
Yeah, and Cade, I mean, it'll be this week and next week if they, you know, we think they will kind of advance through if they get to that national championship game. This will be one of the last two pods we have to talk about live action softball. So we're getting really close to the end. It's it's wild how it seems like it's gone pretty quick. Yeah, it it really has. I, I feel like maybe it was the fact that I was about to have a baby that everything just happens <laughs> so fast. But yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I feel like we're going to look up and it's going to be football season and I'm not going to know what to do with myself. Yeah, agreed. Well, Cade, you want to hit the roundup and then questions? I don't, yeah, really, let's I don't go think for anything it. else. Let's hit Goose's News Nest. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, first up, Calgo basketball again making waves in the transfer portal. They add another yeah, Big it. 12 veteran. Former Kansas standout Chandler Prater. So JC Hoyt announced that, I believe, on Twitter. Prater played in 86 games over three years at Kansas this past year. The 5'11 guard saw action in 35 games while making 33 starts. She averaged 9.5 points and was the second leading rebounder on the team at six rebounds per game as a guard. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, KU won the women's NIT. So she's coming off a, a pretty solid KU team. J.C. Hoyt just continuing to dominate over there. Moving on to golf on the men's side, I forgot to mention this last week. Jonas Bumgarner got to continue playing at the NCAA championship because of where he finished. So after the 54 holes, he came in a tie at 60, for 68th place at Greyhawk. So, you know, not not really competing up there at the top, but – he definitely he was in the mix. It's pretty cool for Bumgarner to kind of be there. I'm sure yeah. that's you know awesome for anybody to kind of make it all the way. It sucks that he's not there with his team, but he got to make it on. So golf is officially done now. On the women's side, Madison Henson Tolchard was named a first team All American by the Women's Golf Coaches Association. That was announced last Friday. She's now a two-time All-American after earning second-team honors in 2022 and is OSU's 15th first-team selection. She's the program's second first-team All-American under head coach Greg Robertson, who we gave our flowers to last week, joining Maya Stark, who did so in 2021. The Australian native, talking about Henson Tolchard, is Oklahoma State's 12th golfer to be named an All-American at least twice in the first since Kelsey Vines earned the honor in 2012 and 2013. So she's now a two-time All-American, reigning Big 12 Player of the Year, and she's only through her junior season. That's fantastic, Dustin. Yeah, <laughs> he's awesome. So a uh, couple more just quick notes, Cade. Women's tennis at another transfer. I know we talked about that last week. Anastasia Comer, Chris Young announced that uh, last Tuesday, I believe. Komar spent the previous two seasons at LSU, and she's going to join a former LSU teammate, Sophia Carrington, in Stillwater as a redshirt sophomore. So that's pretty cool. Uh, she earned all SEC first-team honors last year, so this is a very big pickup for women's tennis. Cross-country and track, they wrapped up the NCAA West prelims. Five Cowboys and two Cowgirls are going to be moving on to the final meet of the season in action at in Austin for June 7th through 10th. And that's actually going to be televised on ESPN too. So be sure to watch the Oklahoma state men and women compete there. And Cade, that's all I have for the roundup. And it's going to just continue to get thinner. And thinner as we move into the summer. 
We could just start rounding up like the top stories around our households for the <laughs> the last week. We can do that. Just things your newborn did. That yeah, yeah, and it's usually just spitting up all over me. That's about it. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to questions. I don't think we had any audio. We did have a question from last week. Remember, the last two weeks we had to record a little earlier than we normally do, so some questions came in late. This one is from Aaron Hester at Aaron Case. Hester on Twitter, he said, you can include helmets, jerseys, or pants from any era. And Cade, I, I really just want you to answer this one. What is the worst Oklahoma State <laughs> uniform combo you can come up with in football? Oh, my gosh. Let me so... let me throw one piece of out to you. You don't have to use it because you're going to do way better at this than me. But the orange chrome Big gigantic Pete head is one of my least favorite helmets. I I I would agree. I think it was awesome like the first couple times because chrome yes. helmets were all the like rage and it's like, oh my gosh, Oklahoma State has one. That's amazing. And then it's like in hindsight, it's like, oh, those are really bad. Uh <laughs> so the orange chrome you're saying would be a staple in this uniform. You'd have that. Yeah, or anything with the OSU Flame logo, even though, you know, it's it's a novelty item now. I do think it's fun, but that is terrible. I'm I'm going to go with <laughs> Do you remember the gray carbon fiber helmet that Oklahoma State wore with like the kind of like white beveled logo? They wore it against yes. uh yeah, you do. Okay. They yeah, wore it against for listeners that may not know. They wore it against West Virginia and like 2015 on the road and i think that was the last time they wore it i liked that helmet the first time and then i saw it again and i was like i something changed in my brain to where i was like that is a terrible <laughs> helmet um so and i might even include the other like flat actually i'm gonna re, i'm gonna revise this dustin i'm gonna go with the flat gray helmet they wore in 2011 against texas a&m that was absolutely the worst helmet they ever wore. You can go look it up. That was the worst one. The jersey, I'm going to also go gray. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, what I was going to say. Anything gray jersey, I, I'm not yeah, a huge fan of. I'm going to go with this. The veterans jerseys were great, but you said to make the worst uniform combination I possibly can. So yes. I'm going to do that. I would put the wow. gray jersey Kate with the black. The oh, <laughs> I think we're going to have to cut this because that's not at all what I'm saying. But this is, you gave me a task and I'm making it. And I would put like the maybe, did, have they worn, yeah, I'm going to put the 1988 throwback white pants on those. That's honestly disgusting. I, and that's <laughs> what, that's what I asked you to do and you did it well. I, I think, Something that popped into my brain when you were talking about the gray and going back a little bit to kind of the 2011, the early kind of 2010s era, any of those older in the in the last, the, well, now they've got new uniforms, two uniform sets ago where, the, where they would wear an orange helmet, but it wasn't even close to the oh, same color just... orange that the jersey and the pants were. That yeah. drove me insane. It, when it, looked was like, like a, it looked red on TV. They looked like knockoff Clemson. It was really bad. Yeah. 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 So anything like that as well, I, I'm not yeah. a huge fan of. But yes, the gray. I agree with you on gray. I mean, I I'm so glad gray is gone. It was. I mean, I know it's a school color, but it's it's not one that I. I mean, I liked it in 2000. You know what? 12 when it first came out. 
but I, I was pretty over it pretty quickly. So I, and I do support the troops and uh, thank you for your service. And uh, it was a, uh, yeah, an honor to, you know, remember this weekend. So Dustin, thank you for that. My bad, my bad. Okay. Next we've got orange vision at orange or at underscore orange vision underscore. They say, what recruit are you most excited for in the 2023 class along with the 24 commits this thus far? Also, are you taking the over 6.5 wins for OK State next season? Thank you very much. We really appreciate that question. So thank you very much as well. Okay, since I threw that last one to you, I can start with this one. Um, I pulled up right before we started to the commits in the 2024 just so I could have that up because – I don't have those quite memorized yet, but if we're talking 2023 and before I answer 2024, we can stay on 2023. You know, one of the easier answers I think to go with would be Zane floors. Yeah. Sure. Another guy, the second highest recruit rated recruit in that class at cam Franklin, but where I'm going to go and solely because he's an early enrollee, I got to see him at practice. I'm going to go Jack and Dean. This guy yeah. was running with the twos when I was at practice at, at, at left tackle Coach Dickey seems to really like him. He's obviously just going to keep getting better, keep putting on weight. He was very engaged with the older linemen. They seemed to enjoy that he was kind of talking to them about stuff. We heard Preston Wilson interviewed after practice, talk about how Indeen came up to him on one of his first days and was like, heard you're the leader around here. Would you mind if, you know, you kind of watch some film with me, if you could kind of give me some pointers, just kind of mentor me. Preston Wilson thought that was very respectable. Awesome that he did that. And I think I'm going to go with Jack and Dean. And I think you probably knew I was going to go with the linemen, but that's who I'll go with. Although I think floors may be the answer just because he's a quarterback. I think long-term, and I, I totally agree with you. I think you're right on both of those, but just for the sake of conversation, I'll put Jacoby Sanders in there as a one-to-watch as well. I just think this the strength thing, you've heard so much about how strong he is. That I I think it's absolutely something to watch. And I'll give you t- two more, which now we've talked about, you know, 40, 30% of the recruiting class. Jalen Pope, I think is a total like wild card that could end up being a star or maybe just a middle of the road, big 12 wide receiver. But I, I think the ceiling <laughs> is star. And then our boy, Adams, Adam Lunt's uh, guy special. Tywin Ray, I mean, yeah. If he ends up being what we think he could be, then yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fired up to watch him. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Tywin Ray is definitely probably the dark horse guy that could end up being the best player in this class, and that was way farther down the list of rankings. Yeah. So it, I definitely think that's a great call, Caden, to end it there with Ray. In the 2024 class, I like, I think it was Landon Cleveland that I saw recently put put out a video and he looks to move of him kind of working out. He looks to move really well. I like how he moves his feet. Rodney Fields from Southeast, the running back, just the fact that, you know, having a running back in the class lost, lost some of the younger guys, you know, running backs been a question mark for you and I. So both of those guys, you know, there's not as many to choose from after losing will smith but i'd probably i'm gonna steal those two 
from you. Yeah, so I'll yeah, say well, Cleveland I, and Fields. I think I'll stand down because Landon Cleveland is <laughs> he's gotta be the the number one. I, I think Jalen Bordley's a guy though that people are not yeah. really thinking about. And he's your, you know, second rated player in this class right now, you know, top 60 in his position group. I I think any of those guys could end up being exciting. But Landon Cleveland, I think, probably easily your best prospect right now for you know yeah. considerable impact down the line agreed and i think we're just gonna say yes to the over six and a half because we did that prediction already and oh. both of us were over i i will be in kansas soon and i will be placing a wager <laughs> let's just call it that that way caesars in vegas has it at six i mean it i can't tell you how much I'm so confident in this. I'm not going to put the mortgage on it, but it's a done deal. Hey, you didn't hear this from me, but Caesars actually has an app, and I believe it works in Kansas. So if you want to get it at six. I appreciate you saying that. I'll take a (laughs) look-see. Okay, next we got Sam Butchert at GoPokes02. Thanks, Sam, for the question. Sam says, how far do you see OSU softball going in the Women's College World Series? And what are the chances baseball makes supers in the College World Series? Kid, I think if you just want me to recap, and Sam, apologies. I saw this question after we kind of – I should have thrown you in during the convo, thrown this one in there. But we both think Oklahoma State's going to make it to the championship game, correct, in, in softball. Yep. Kid, correct me if I'm wrong. I do. And then in baseball, I think we both have OSU losing to Vandy in the supers. Yeah, I think the chance of them getting out of what did he say? The chances of them getting out of the regional, I would put it like high. I think it's yeah, seventy plus percent getting out. Like yeah, that's about where I would throw it. Um, but I don't think they're getting into the College World Series. I just I don't see it. I, I do think they could push Vandy to that to that final game, that if necessary game, but. I hope I'll, it would be great if somebody could knock Vandy out. Then you Absolutely. get the super in Stillwater. If they have the super in Stillwater, I, I think they win it. Oh, against man. anybody in that Vandy regional. Yeah, which I don't even know who all's in that regional. But, you're, yeah, you are making an assumption that Vandy gets out of that. There's a chance they don't. So, good point. So, I uh, love the question, though, Sam. Next, we got Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein. Kate, I'll throw this one to you first. And you can go through all four teams if you want. Player, regardless of sport that you think of when you think of each of the new teams in the Big 12. So first name that comes into your head. I tra- I actually looked at this, Cade, before we got on because I got stuck on UCF for a second and then I remembered one. So I tried to do it without looking anything up. So it, if it's someone completely random, that's fine. It can be any sport. Any sport, just the name that comes to your head. Look, look, here, I'll just I'll list them off, and you just say something to me. BYU, Ty Detmer. <laughs> I love Ty Detmer. I actually so mine's kind of me specific because I went Taysom Hill because he plays for the Saints. So that's the first name that I think of because the Saints yeah. are my favorite team. But another one I thought of instantly after Ty Detmer and Taysom Hill was Steve Young, obviously. Oh yeah, so for sure. Football, I think for BYU, I can't. Jimmer, I guess. Oh, yeah. But sometimes I think he went to, like, I forget that it's BYU and not Butler. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati. Mine's weird for this one. And it is truly the first name that popped in my head. Um, Cincinnati. Holy cow. Um, You're not going to go with your boy on the Chiefs? 
I mean, I, I Kelsey is an obvious one, but I, <laughs> I was honestly like thinking Desmond Ritter. Like that was where my head oh. immediately went. I like Desmond Ritter. The one for me is probably going to disgust you. The first name that comes into my head for Cincinnati is Kenyon Martin, and I have no idea why. Oh, wow. I would have never even thought that. <laughs> it's just, I think it's because the e- the old East Bay magazines, those shorts that Cincinnati had, their overall jerseys I love, the white ones and the black that Cincinnati had back then. Kenyon Martin was really good. That was like, what, 1,000? So I yeah, would have been... Yeah. I would I would have been in that age range that you were talking about earlier, like the 10, 11, 12 year old range. Right. Where it just kind of makes an impression on you. I don't know why Kenyon Martin, though, came up. And then obviously Travis Kelsey was second, I think. Yeah. Travis Kelsey, you you said your boy from the Chiefs. And I was like, wait, who? I forget Travis Kelsey <laughs> went to Cincinnati, but I, I was Desmond Ritter is the first one that I was thinking. And, I like and that. I like. Are that. there any others? Like I, I can't think of any like primetime Cincinnati guys. I mean, I Jason was... Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving along. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure there's someone forgetting from basketball too because they had some runs there. Yeah, in those they early did. 2000s. And I was thinking basketball first, but I couldn't come up with anybody. Maybe our boy, my boy uh, can help me out with that. I'll, I'll call him. He can help me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do uh Houston next. Kevin Cobb. <laughs> I love that. So for football, Case Keenum came to me first. Yep. And I was thinking basketball because you know we were talking about they've been really good in basketball. They've always been really good in basketball. I think the first thing that has to come into your head when you think Houston basketball is five slam a jam. Five slam a jam. Those guys, like Team the Dream or Clyde the Glide, either of those guys just pop into your head. If I think Houston basketball. I just think Akeem Olajuwon because then he also played for the Rockets. Yeah, hundred percent. He's, he's he is Houston basketball. Yeah, he is Houston. Yeah, that <laughs> he is Texas. That <laughs> I totally agree with you. Uh, my my first thought was Kevin Cobb. Uh, he lit Oklahoma State up in like 2006 in Houston when Oklahoma State Love played it. that game. Lit OSU up two years in a row actually, and then Case Keenum came to Stillwater in 2008. And also lit Oklahoma State up. So I was sick of Houston football at that point. But uh, yeah, Hakeem Olajuwon, easy number two. Okay, UCF. That's it. Taco Fall. Ooh. So both of mine were football. That's be- oh, I love wow. that you I'm, did basketball. I'm excited to see where you go with this. The first name that came into my head was Bortles. And I think it's because of, like, pardon my take. Yeah, and, the, that, and Big Cat and PFT having such a good relationship with him. But I was like, I know I'm forgetting someone that was like really, really good. And I thought of it later, like five <laughs> minutes later, Dante Culpepper, who like I think still holds all of their quarterback records. Still. Whoa, I did yeah. not know this. I think I seriously think he does. I'd have to go look that up. But I think he was so good there, and they just, you know, they haven't had that many good quarterbacks until, like, your Bortles and your Miltons and those guys recently and your Gabriels. I I think he holds still holds, like, every passing record there. Well, I totally forgot that Blake Bortles went to UCF, and I did not know that Dante Culpepper went to UCF. I I don't know how I didn't, but yeah. Their helmets back then, too. You know how they're, like, kind of like a diagonal downwards now with the UCF? Yeah. It was a straight across UCF, like TCU's baseball hat. I, so like I, li- I feel like I would like that, though. It uh, just looks so weird compared to their new ones. 
Yeah, I, uh, I'll let's do this. Of the four teams coming into the Big Twelve, who's got the worst branding? It's got to be Cincinnati or UCF, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think UCS is just so boring, and I don't like the Knights. Like, I don't like how their night looks. They Cincinnati, do this- I do like the bear, like, claw C thing is kind of cool, I guess. But UCF does this moon thing, and I I have not bothered to look up, like, why they have, like, rockets on their jerseys now. But is it because of the proximity to the Kennedy Space Center? Is that it? Because it's not so in Orlando. Get- that's okay, not asking the wrong guy. Space, not not what I know about. This is what the offseason is for. If that's for the Kennedy Space Center, it's going to piss me off because that's not in Orlando. You cannot claim that because it's in your state. I love all of BYU stuff, and it's weird because it's like really only two colors, but I still love anything that BYU has. I'm trying to think of what that would be like for Oklahoma State to claim something. I feel like it would be claiming like <laughs> like lakes. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just in your state. You don't get to be the school that is the Kennedy Space Center. Like boats. Like Oklahoma State makes a boating specific jersey. That's not cool. You can't that's not that's not you. So <laughs> that's very true. But I don't know. Kate and I love questions like this, so thank you, especially in the off season. We don't probably don't love them as much during football season, but during the off season, <laughs> yeah. I'm just keep kidding. We to, love all keep questions. them to yourself in football season, is what Dustin's saying. <laughs> uh, we've got two more. Bill my Nat at Bill my Geo guy says, Coach, she had a quote about being more concerned with NIL and getting his stuff paid than. Then he was a new stadium, which kid you and I were talking I about wanted to off talk, the podcast. Yeah. Don't think that we start to see recruiting become more about who has NIL money and less about who has, you know, a nap pot at every locker or like the coolest locker room is I think what Bill's trying to get at there. So kid, you wanted to bring this up. So I'm actually going to throw it over to you. I love it. Thank you. I think I had a great conversation with friend of the pod, Jake Meyer on this recently I I think that the allure of donating to a physical like uh development, let's say a locker room, like the the Dustin Ragusa locker room or the Cade Webb football recruiting wing makes a lot more sense in my head than like if I'm donating $100,000 to that, which would be awesome if I had $100,000 to donate towards that versus $100,000 <laughs> to an NIL collective I think it's a very easy like decision for me as the donator to go to the thing that's going to put my name on it and put it in stone. Like you see all these buildings come up and it's the Spears business school. I, I think Dustin, where, where I'm going with this, Bill asked the question, is it more important to have the facility or is it more important to have the money for NIL for the athlete? I think it's more important for the money for NIL and for the donor I think it's more important to have your name etched into something. That's the way yeah. I see this. And yeah, I, I completely I, agree. I, I don't know where the return on investment is for a person who is donating to an NIL collective. Outside of your favorite team becoming good, this is unsustainable. I truly think that this is a bubble that's going to pop in the next five years. No, I agree with you. It 
I'm on the same the like same exact page with you on the return on investment part. You know, putting the name on the locker room or on the training facility, something like that makes way more sense to me as someone who has the money to donate to the school because not only is it something with your name on it that you can see that you feel like you actually provided to the school, it goes into the training or the locker room or something that should be helping recruit kids. If it's a training facility, it's somewhere where they're actually, you know, healing, like making themselves better players. If it's like a weight room or something like that. So I I completely agree with you on that front. And I I agree with you about the, the bubble popping as well. I just don't see how how it's sustainable, like you said. Kenny's comments, so to Bill's question, which is fantastic, I did want to talk about this. Kenny's comments were very direct. He even referred at at one point to like, if he wins enough, he will force Chad Weiberg to do something about NIL at Oklahoma State, which is such an interesting comment from a coach that's like in, like he's a seating coach. Like that's kind of a peek behind the curtain of how this goes like these coaches are jockeying for position against one another like i know kenny g and i know mike boytner are tight but one of those guys is going to get it and one of those guys is not and so i actually also shared his sentiment about unveiling a drawing like oklahoma state is probably 10 years away minimum from building that softball stadium that's my prediction a grandmaster plan and his comment of them unveiling a drawing was just interesting i appreciated kenny's um cynicism and just honest reality of the situation nil is king and it will be until that bubble pops yeah no i agree i i think it was a great question from bill so i really appreciate that one and Cade, love to hear your take on it you crush it anytime we talk nil or anything like that i'm so ready i wanted to talk about that anyway so thank you bill (laughs) Uh, we'll do one more from Ryan at Ryan three zero five five four one two nine. He says, "Any young safeties that you can see moving to linebacker?" Cade, I mean, I think we both have, probably have the same answer here. Cam Apps, he's Gotta six be. three two ten. I, I don't think anybody else is even. Uh, it, I don't count Kendall Daniels. Probably, I, I wouldn't really count him as young anymore. If you're There's looking no at way young to. guys, Epps is, and Epps is corner safety, but. I think he just is so much bigger from what I saw from him at practice. He can play anywhere. I was super impressed. So I think that's the one we did. Kate, we did have one more question from Brian Metcalf, but it's more of a visual question. So I think maybe we'll just respond to Brian on Twitter for that one. So thanks Brian for the question, but it'd be kind of hard to answer with the graph and everything in the stats on the podcast. So thanks again, everybody love the question so much. We really appreciate you guys continuing to send them in the off season and keep it up. Yeah. Love it as always. Dustin, this was a fun one. If we can just make sure all the offseason podcasts go exactly like this one, that would be fantastic. I think that keep the questions coming. I, I absolutely love it. I love talking NIL. So hit me up on that anytime and we can talk about it on the pod. But if you're not already, be following us on Twitter and Instagram at feels like 45 pod. And this is the week to do it. I mean, if you're not, you should be because college world series going on for softball. We'll be on there. Sounds like Dustin's going to try to get out to the stadium. Who knows what you'll see on our Twitter account. So follow us there. Follow Dustin. Who knows? At, who know, I mean, who knows? Follow Dustin at Dustragu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. And we will see you guys back here next week, hopefully with the Cowgirl team in the championship series. We'll see you guys back next week. Go folks.